Hello, welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, this is, what, episode two of season three, and we have some guests. We have Mark and Bridget from Screen Time, a quarantine podcast. Say hello, Mark and Bridget. Hello, Mark hello. and Bridget. Hey, <laughs> uh, you went there. I did it. I did it. I was <laughs> move. I did it. Classic move. And then, of course, we have Chris. Say hello, Chris. I'm not going to do that. Hello. Uh, come on. Thank you so much for being here, Mark and Bridget. Uh, you joined us for our inaugural episode last season mm-hmm. about uh, Michael Cimino's Desperate Hours. Um, I still have dreams about that living room furniture. And I'm excited to have you back for another 90s movie episode. Yeah, thanks, thanks for Thanks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> It is the 25th anniversary of Swingers. Uh, I w- what would you call it? How would you describe this film uh, to a Zoomer? Oh, oh uh, cool guy satire. Cool guy satire. I like that. Good. I don't know. Chris, what do you got? Um, I would say uh, it's it's a movie that was very cl- clearly written and filmed in a short period of time with very little thought put into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we know how you feel about the movie. Uh, so, Swingers, of course, uh, is the John Favreau written and starring film, I guess you'd call it. Vince Vaughn, Rod Livingston, uh, about a group of struggling actors in Los Angeles uh, trying to figure out life and women and failing at pretty much all of it. Uh, directed by uh, Doug Lyman. This is his second film, right? So, he was just getting started. Uh, so, it is a true independent film put up on Miramax Films in 1996. Uh, it even tried to go the Sundance route, but it failed. We'll talk about that more. Um, but really, when it got released, did decently well. Uh, about $7 million worldwide box office in the late 90s. So that was okay for an indie film. Uh, but really hit a grand slam on home video and DVD. Uh, and, and kind of became... Am I wrong to say it's a cultural touchstone? No. Or am I right? No, I think that's I correct. Think so. I, I think it's a cultural touchstone. I mean, so thinking about describing, describing it to a Zoomer, like it almost seems like the the mannerisms and characters and language from this movie was more important than the actual movie mm. and I, and i hate to compare it to something yeah. like um uh what's that what's that movie with the dude in it <laughs> oh big lebowski <laughs> big lebowski because i actually yeah. like that one. <laughs> i thought you were gonna say dude where's my car uh, yeah yeah i had to compare <laughs> it to something as iconic as dude where's my car um but, uh, <laughs> that's that's actually anyway how um how swingers kind of sits for me that's how i think like, of it uh, mm-hmm. and then did you guys you know mark and chris did you guys see this when you were younger how did they sort of come into your um head um i think i i, I know i heard about it when I was younger, I think when it first came out, uh, having, having an older brother who graduated from high school in 97 and like the mid nineties, like hangout cool bro movie was in kind of vogue, like along the same sense of like, like uh, Kevin Smith movies. Um, I just remember like my brother saying, like talking a lot about the, dialogue and the language and like hey baby like all the babies and like you're you're yeah. so many babies you're your money baby like i remember my my older brother saying he like has, your money baby okay so I, i've never put this together but he yeah. still says that yeah. oh that's money <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah he does i so i think like i think then i 
I didn't actually see it until I think we were watching it like on a late night movie binge at, at our condo before we had kids. Bridget. Yeah, so I think I we, think I I think we saw, saw it for the first then. time together. Oh, really? Uh-huh, like post 2007, pre 2010. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Chris, how did you high school or college? Yeah, I think it was high school. It was somebody's basement. <laughs> and it was, I was probably my basement. It might have been yours. Yeah, it must it, have been mine. I also very much think it, I associate it very much with a, a friend that we all have in common. Uh-huh. His name is Joe. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And <laughs> really? Oh, I get yeah, totally. Yeah, so so uh, I it might have it was either your basement or his, but it was definitely like on in the background, and I was half paying attention. And but I also like it's interesting you mentioned Kevin Smith, Mark, because I mean this was probably around the time where I also discovered Clerks, and mm. you know, yeah. for all its uh, warts and uh, Kevin Smith's kind of trajectory over the years uh i was very obsessed with that movie and uh i watched it over and over again and i also i remember hearing and like reading about miramax and the indie movie boom and so like i got super into that especially when getting like the internet in 99 or whatever and uh uh, going down that rabbit hole and so like i knew the movie was on my radar and so there was like was it was on at a friend's house was half paying attention to it and then i started watching it more closely and i just got i I have this visceral like memory of getting so bored (laughs) watching it and and then also like consistently comparing it to clerks which was like you know hangout movie very bro-y and Yet I thought that was way more interesting, and I'm I'm curious why I thought that, yeah. and I also haven't I haven't watched Clerks in years, so I, I wonder if I would have. You, uh, yeah, what kind of I, I, have I definitely today. liked this as well as any Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love there that. There we have um, that. <laughs> I think I remember what. Yeah, I think I saw this in high school, and then I saw it in college. I remember it playing on like the frat hall, like we'd sit around and watch this movie. Uh, and I wasn't in a frat. I just hung out with frat mm-hmm. guys. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Guilt by association. And then uh, I saw it in like 2007 and it was like a lightning bolt. And I was like, really? oh, man. Yeah. I was like 2007, 2008-ish. I think I was in like grad school or something. And I was like, wow. Like for some reason, it really spoke to me. So I think I'm going to be coming from a different perspective than you all. This. <laughs> yeah. uh, in any event, um, so let's talk about like the basics of this film. A lot of people got their start here. Who are people going to recognize from this movie uh, right off the bat? Probably what Vince Vaughn. It was his first real sort of hit breakout. Uh, John Favreau as well. But people, probably younger people, know him as a director. What has he directed? He's directed everything, right? Iron Man, Jungle Book. What am I missing? What is the big stuff? Lion King. Lion King. Yeah. So he's sort of moved on, sort of to be uh, basically a director. Ron Livingston. Do people know who Ron Livingston is now? Ooh. I think in the 2000s they would. Uh, early uh, 2000s, I mean. Now, probably not, not right? Now. He kind of <laughs> went on to do Office Space, was how most people, right. um, Peter from Office Space. Uh, and then he kind of had a weird 2000s where he sort of disappeared. Uh, he was recently, somewhat recently, in Drinking Buddies, which is one of my favorite Wait, we're talking about Burger? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, known, yeah. known to many, myself included, as Burger from Sex and the City. So he did not disappear. Oh. That's true, that's true. That, that was an important, long-standing so, role 
He's a, an important uh, relationship for Carrie. Yeah, he he. I feel like he found his niche in TV. Yeah. He was also in the first season of Search Party, which mm-hmm. is very good. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. he's a solid actor. He is a solid he's actor. Really I think he's actually probably the most, uh, a, like the he's the best of the bunch yes, in this movie. He's the most like, oh, like hands down for sure. What about Patrick Van Horn? <laughs> Patrick Van <laughs> Horn, you don't know who he is. Uh, and then probably Heather Graham is another one that's going to stick oh, out Heather to people. Graham. She, she was almost a character in this movie. <laughs> yeah, almost. A, a lot of the women were almost characters. <laughs> yeah. That's a good I like, point. I like, it almost point. felt insulting that she's even like credited. Right. Like how little she's in a character. For, like, what? a couple of minutes um and then i uh, call out to the director here doug lineman uh he went on to do born identity born supremacy this is his real first big movie kind of a companion piece maybe was go in 1999 Mm -hmm. uh and then he went edge of tomorrow which i think is fantastic uh and then recently american made and some other stuff i don't even know about lockdown i don't know and chaos walking i think is coming out this year um i don't know uh Chris, how did this thing get all get started? How did this thing come together? Well, you see, uh, John Favreau was just a young man with a dream. <laughs> no, it's uh, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of my hatred for this film uh, kind of comes through pretty loud and clear uh, in just the it feels like the very typical story which so many producers kind of ate up and maybe even exploited uh during the indie boom in the 90s where it's like kid moves from the midwest and uh you know has you know a rough and tumble attitude and a script in hand that is uh you know rough around the edges and they he just manages to convince enough people including uh his buddy doug lyman who is the son of the famous attorney arthur lyman who is the chief counsel for the u.s senate investigations of the iran contra affair and so doug's dad had several business associates with plenty of money and it just so happened he was able to cobble together a uh you know a quarter million dollars to film uh favreau's script and favreau had met met vince vaughn on the um set of rudy um favreau has a couple lines vaughn had a couple lines but they got cut and the rest, as they say, is history. So Ron Livingston was also buddies with them. I guess Adam Scott also lived downstairs for them, as did Mike White. It was just kind of like this apartment building area of sunset in Hollywood that was just like full of these kinds of guys trying to make it. And it just was a matter of, you know, whose dad could get them enough money. Mm. And, <laughs> and that that's uh, that's the that's the nuts and bolts of it. I'm I'm curious there's this really great oral history of the film uh that Grantland put together. Rest in peace Grantland. Um yeah, rest in peace. The uh <laughs> bulk of that is I where I got my information, but I also know that you you found a pretty a couple pretty extensive interviews um with Lyman and Fevro via uh Charlie Rose show, Dan. Yeah, oh, Charlie yeah, Rose. So- yeah back in the day so he did an interview uh kind of like laid out what you were talking about and i think the big thing that came across in that interview was that essentially what happened with all of them is uh, john and vince had gotten a break and a lot of their friends have gotten breaks 
and they moved out to LA thinking, oh, I'm a big actor now. I got into Rudy or another movie or TV show. Now I just move out to LA and I just start booking shows. And essentially what happened is they all moved out there and they didn't work. Mm -hmm. None of them worked. And so they couldn't get any gigs. They were really down and out, kind of losers on some level. Uh, and because of being in that situation, they basically said, uh, you know, John essentially just started to write a script to see if he would do it. That script ended up becoming Swingers. And as much as he talks about in the interviews, hey, it's not necessarily autobiographical, but when you dive deep into it, it's essentially just a reflection of his life and his friends, mm-hmm. you know, hanging out together uh, in Hollywood, not doing anything, playing video games. What is it, NHL 94 in this, 93? There's a yeah, whole yeah. thing about that. That was pretty cool. Uh, I believe, yeah. 94 yeah yeah um and so uh, the the thing about the conception of that is interesting to me is that it could have gone a lot of different ways you know john favreau was not a screenwriter um he basically showed it to his agent who i don't think we ever talk about the the business side of on film twice we're always like the creative people who shot it and who did all this stuff um but his agent essentially said hey there's something special here let's not sell this because they were going to sell it. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in that process of trying to sell it, they went through the story edit part and all of these people were like, change this, change that, put it in Vegas, make Vince Vaughn into a woman. Um, And I think John Favreau and his agent were like, no, this is not the path we want to take. Let's do table reads. They did table reads for two years uh, with the cast here in order to raise money. Uh, and eventually Doug Lyman came along, really loved what he saw, and that's how it really sort of kicked off. So I get it. I do think that there is um, there's a gut thing where I want to do it, too, where it's like white dudes, L.A., like th- someone called in a favor and made this happen. But I think there was a lot of groundwork and stuff, and it wasn't sort of a given thing when they started this journey that this was going to happen. Um, I don't know, Mark and Bridget, did, sort of learning that <laughs> history, do you see that on the film? Uh-uh. Do you see that sort of um, <laughs> ragtag uh, sort of indie element I, to this? I sure don't. I mean, so I I read the notes before watching it, and we watched it last night. And um, Chris, talking about having a visceral reaction of it being boring, I feel like that, <laughs> I, like, we were both doing different things while we were watching it, right? Yeah. Last night. Last night, yeah. Like, you were working, and I was probably also working. But, um, like, no, I mean, I... So I, I, I remember not liking it. The, I, nothing about, like, the concept makes me want to like it. The fact that, like, there are... are, I mean, the... I hate to say this because it sounds like a cliche, but, like, the treatment of women. And, like, it, it is just, like gross even if it is a parody which i'm totally i'm not totally sold on is it like so no it's and, not but part parody. of thinking about like Definitely. the like a ragtag like indie like trying to make it working really hard um like that's there in the way that like certain privileged white men probably think that they worked really hard yeah. and and finally got their shot but like also you were propped up the whole time by people you know does yeah. that make sense like that's actually what i think comes through in the film to me yeah totally uh, but, well, so what sort of elements sorry. what sort of elements sort of um <laughs> you know bring that out what what brings it up uh no what sort of brings out sort of oh, the okay. um, so i think that i struggle with with uh swingers is like 
Are they supposed to be losers? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Or are we? Su- but but are, but we're also supposed to like the audience like empathize with them, right? I like think, that's think, the part that's hard for me. Both. I know a little of both, but that's yeah. the thing where it's like, oh, look at these guys. They're obviously losers. We're obviously poking fun at the way guys chase after women, but also we've all been there. Like that's the piece of it that like weighs so heavy throughout the film. And also like, I, I feel like it's just so clearly positioned that like John Favreau's character is like the good guy. And yeah. like the way that character is written and played also kind of like makes me upset because like, are you really better than Vince Vaughn? Or are you just one of those guys who's going to like live your life thinking that you're the good guy when like, you're the same though. Yeah. No, hundred like, percent. I don't know. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause I think that like the Favreau character, I think back then when it came out was way more sympathetic. I think when people watched it in like 96, 97 uh-huh. and even when yeah. it was on DVD and, and video and stuff, um, kind of the pathetic kind of I guess the, it's like it's the it's now kind of a trope but it's the nice guy who's not really that nice right. he's kind of a toxic dude uh-huh. who expects e- women to do everything for him you know he expects to sleep with any woman that he talks to mm-hmm. he expects this emotional sort of crutch constantly to support him in life mm-hmm. Uh and I think back then there is there was this sort of sad sack kind of loner dude, and I, I, of course it's still popular today. Mm-hmm. But I think even back then it was like just like in every movie for the most part. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the, we we see it through a different lens. I mean, Mark and Chris, what do you think? Do you think that that is that pretty accurate? That like, would you say that John Favreau? Uh, what's his name? Mikey? Yeah. Uh, Thank you. I, don't, he, I didn't even try to. <laughs> does he come across as like, does he have that nice guy, but male, t- the, the toxic male masculinity thing happened at the same time in this movie? I I think what you're saying, what you guys are saying about, you have to think of like the, the time that the movie was released um, and thinking back to like all the things like this, that, I was really into as well as like a teenage male and like young, young man, like the, they're all like through the lens of 2020 and beyond and like learning about toxic masculinity and et cetera. Um, you see them differently now where like, like for example, like the opening like 10 minutes where, uh, Mikey is calling, he's like talking to, about women as skanks over and over that like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's one of those things where I think for me as a man in the year 2021, who's trying to do good, like I have to like unravel what I was, I learned in the nineties of like, like nice like being a quote-unquote nice guy in that sense is not necessarily really like a truly nice thing i guess i so like it's so like i guess i'm i'm like on the other hand like i do think like there's elements of it that i do that i i enjoy and like the scenes i think that were the strongest to me were just like the scenes where they were hanging out and like 
the scene that I was most entertained by was was actually like the the NHL ninety four scene, which was like <laughs> it's just like a perfect like that was like a night that was like I know Bridget was pointing at the screen, just being like, "This is horrible. This party is horrible." But like, <laughs> but like, I, I enjoyed. Like, I just couldn't believe it was real. I just kept saying, "Like, did you just go like hang out with a whole bunch of guys and just like <laughs> and just try to like outguy each other? Like, is that an enjoyable thing to do?" I've never in my life, and I have a many, many close like long-term female friends but i've never been like let's just go all like so many of us sit in a room and just try to like out feminine each other like i don't even know what the yeah. i mean and i mean I, yeah i mean it wasn't it yeah yeah like was That's that realistic I, I i would say that i had a moment almost note for note that happened just like that in a frat hall <laughs> at wake forest like i'm not joking like literally where it was fifa 2000 whatever uh somebody had a breakaway the goalie took the ball away from the guy and it turned into a fist fight uh right. and we literally replayed the goal over and over again or missed goal whatever right. and like i when i saw this later i was like Oh, like I've literally lived that scene before. Yeah. I don't know. I, I found aspects. I think what the, one of the strengths of the film is it's very honest. They're not really putting on any sort of filter here uh, in terms of how I think, uh, how I've hung out with men before and so, sort of male bonding. So that bonding. just makes like, me want to cry. Like, <laughs> like both as a, as a, and do, yeah, and, and maybe you should. I, I, I mean, also like as a woman who's like consistently had close male friends. Like I didn't yeah. see that because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah. I guess you all intentionally behave differently. <laughs> um, but like, well, I didn't even see that in the film though. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, but that like that's like I don't know. I get like it's almost like um, unfun just like saying it, but it's like, but women are human beings, and like the fact that like a whole generation and like. I don't know, a hundred generation of men, like, but like men that I care about in my life who like were raised and grew up in the nineties, the fact that you weren't like taught that. Yeah. I mean, like through popular culture, like that makes me sad. Like for, for you, it made like, I like watching the movie. I felt like sad for Mark, (laughs) (laughs) but but really like, I mean, and like, and like grateful that like my son gets to grow up in a different time, I guess. Like, I, I don't know. I do want to point out that I feel like one of the issues that came up with me this time uh, after so many years removed from the film, rewatching it was how it attempts to have its cake and eat its too with regards to masculinity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how, uh, I mean, uh, most egregiously every interaction with women or when the guys care, the guy characters are speaking of the women, like, pre and post uh encounter or whatever mm-hmm. uh you know it's it's all the 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 horrible stereotype that has permeated uh kind of bar culture for years and any representation of bar culture in the media of you know hunting as <laughs> as, as it's a form of sport mm-hmm. and i mean i don't know maybe the video game aspect even though i'm i don't play video games but i definitely have been in lots of basements where guys played video games mm-hmm. uh that that part i i could see that that feels that feels honest it it feels um kind of frustrating because like there's there's a whole interesting so 
layer underneath there with like the guys that they meet in the parking lot and then they end up being friends with them and playing the, the video game and how the violence is embedded in the video game i don't know that's that that whole thing is weird but at least it's it's honest and uh definitely less harmful than the stuff that's going on with gender and uh, uh the treatment of women in the movie um and so what's frustrating to me i guess is that uh I, as a guy, uh, have never, I mean, I've definitely, yes, admittedly talked crudely about women, but never about like when I'm actually like trying to be romantic with somebody or like trying to date a a woman, you know, Mm. and uh, or like trying to flirt with or hit on a girl or anything like that. Like that didn't none of that felt honest to me at all that all felt like very much like putting on a show vince vaughn as the like ultimate wingman kind of thing Mm -hmm. and especially with how the movie wraps up and the narrative of uh mikey uh quote-unquote getting the girl at the end and throwing his ex-girlfriend away uh (laughs) in such like crude fashion and yet we're still supposed to like love these guys so I had a, at the end of it I had a little bit of a different take on the ending and I've been trashing the film pretty hard up to this point but I actually um like the I I didn't necessarily read the reaction to finally getting a call from his ex-girlfriend and then not wanting to call her back as throwing her away I don't I don't lo- like I don't love the way like Heather Graham was like not a character at all but like I I do like um so the what you're talking about, Chris Lowe, like hitting on women in that super aggressive way and then talking about the woman that you're hoping to hook up with with your friends in that gross way, like I, I would venture to say like most of the men I'm close to never did that part. But there's still the like talking gross about women in a more general sense, especially when you're like a middle schooler and like high schooler. But like, um, uh, I, mean, I, had, I had brothers, but uh, like... Um, <laughs> But the fact that, like, when he he does just, like, find Heather Graham and he just, like, is sitting and kind of chatting with her and that he's, like, talking about his girlfriend and she's sharing about her boyfriend. But it seems like she's at, he's actually, like, listening. Like, I, I do think it's, like, a way underdeveloped, like, her character. Um, but, like, uh, I, I... So I saw the end as, like, him, like, kind of making the choice not just to, like... Not necessarily that he got the girl, because they they get, like, one date, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know that they're going to end up together. But him kind of making the choice to, like, move on with his life away from his friends. Mm. Like, these specific... And, like, Mm -hmm. specifically away from, like, Vince Vaughn. Like, so... um, uh, But the movie ends with them in the diner together. Right, but I... I, You don't read that scene as, like, they're kind of, like, (laughs) going in different directions. Like, Vince Vaughn is a... Uh, like it's clumsily done, but like he like thinks like a, another woman is hitting on him. Like he's he's not with anybody. Like he kind of makes the fool of himself, and like he I don't know. John Favreau just seems like he's not like excited talking about like and I'm gonna nail this new chick. Hmm, and, I, and I'm and a little I'm, more. I guess he's a little more romantically, a little more sensitive about this potential new relationship yeah like i don't i don't see it as him like going in trying to like just hook up with someone it's like genuinely like now i'm gonna i'm gonna try to make my life out here and the like i mean throwing his ex-girlfriend away like he should be done with that that was like that that whole like a uh, sad sack mm-hmm. like six month like the way i read that is the like get over it dude like she's not into you like leave her alone um right but also he left her 
Well, I feel which like is the whole part of the I'm, story that's completely that's so, underdeveloped. Yeah, too. that's so unclear yeah. throughout the movie because like he seems to be like wanting her back, right? But then it was the Ber- Jack Burger office space who says like, "But you left her, right?" <laughs> right. And, yeah, he, that, that, that was a highlight of the movie for me. That scene. He is like the best character in this movie for sure. He seems like, but it also seems like John Favreau is kind of like making these decisions about like what guys does he want in his life. You know what I mean? And there's like the Vince Vaughn character yeah. and there's like the super violent, toxic, masculine characters. And then there's like the Jack Berger who just seems like, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Does he do anything disgusting the in the movie? He seems just like a regular friend. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, so he's the, he's the new guy. He just moved. Right. Out there, but he's, so he's, he's solid, normie representation. Life, right. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, again, I, d- I didn't like the movie, <laughs> but, uh, but I, didn't, I actually didn't hate the ending. Um, that's a fair read of of the final scene and i i totally just did not get that vibe at all but i mean i did think the whole like ending with that uh comedy of errors with the with the mom with the baby was um was kind of out of left field there's a in in one of the interviews it's revealed that they originally tested uh the the movie without that final scene Mm -hmm. with him just with john favreau ending with the phone call and yeah. uh it 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 tested poorly and so that's when they decided to uh lyman basically said like this isn't a movie about favreau or his relationship or even his you know growth as a character it's about him and vince vaughn's character's friendship hmm. and so he they said they they sculpted that out of a real life comedy of errors event in which vince vaughn had a misunderstanding <laughs> with somebody at a baggage claim at an airport oh, vince vaughn. So, so vince vaughn is his character i think that's that's pretty much yeah. the, uh, the biggest conclusion to make here um but uh so it does i mean in in one sense like maybe that's a maybe there was something deeper there or maybe they were just literally like let's think of something funny to end the movie on yeah. so it's john and vince instead of john in the phone i i, I guess it, yeah. i like that it ends with whether it's intentional or not like and, and again it seems really hard to read the intention of this movie as i watch it <laughs> yeah. um oh, but yeah. you know the author is dead so what do i care about intention but uh like <laughs> I, I mean it, it's interesting i like that i appreciate that like we're ending the movie laughing at vince vaughn and that even sure, like yeah. john favreau who seems like throughout he's kind of like looking to the sky for ad- advice and help and Vince Vaughn kind of takes on this like assum- assumed role in his friend's life of like, oh, I'm going to make my buddy into a player because he's got to get laid. And that's just me being a good friend. And even all the times throughout the movie where John Favreau to Vince Vaughn is like, you're a good friend. It's like, he's not being a good friend. Mm-hmm. Like, he- he's not. <laughs> and, so, and so many of those scenes with Vince Vaughn, like the within the first 20 minutes where they get to the Vegas and they're on the cocktail waitress and then they're they're like doing the after party at like 6 a.m like i just kept thinking like i would be so freaking tired (laughs) and like none of that none of that is like remotely appealing to me at all but like what i appreciated about that is like it was like a very it was like a very good sense of place of like Mm -hmm. the seat like so much of las vegas is in pop culture is like glitzy glam and like what's not Mm -hmm. seen is what most of Las Vegas is, which is like kind of seedy, a little sad, <laughs> like, but like there's a, there's like a charm to it in a sense. Like I, I felt that like I did, even though like it felt very underdeveloped, I think those scenes like in the, when they're first getting to Las Vegas and like the scene where they're having like post like morning breakfast, like things like that were just like, 
you clearly written by somebody who was very young and like, um, yeah. you know, obviously like John Favreau has developed quite a bit as a filmmaker and like screenwriter throughout the years, but like, has he though from that? Yeah. Like that's a good <laughs> sense of place. Um, can, yeah. can I read an anonymous review on IMDb though? Oh, oh, this is a 10, 10 stars best movie ever. <laughs> um, this was a review made in uh, 2004. <clears throat> yeah. I saw that someone commented, this is the perfect guy movie. I'd like to add <laughs> that it's not just for guys. The characters in it are just as easy to relate to for girls. If you think <laughs> girls don't pathetically chase after guys the same way the men of swingers were going after girls, you need to get out more. Not meant to be an insult. My favorite character in it, though I love them all, is Rob. His insecurity is cute, but of course he's also a loyal friend. You can't beat that. And I love the Goofy quote. Hi, Mom. I'm Goofy. Send more money. That's great. <laughs> this is one of those movies that I love to watch over and over again. I will never get sick of it. Plus, my husband, then boyfriend, introduced me to it, so of course I love it. He even picked me up from my classes once by yelling, hey, do you know where all the high school girls hang out? I don't understand that. That was my interjection from across the street. This movie was incredibly funny and deserves a lot more praise than it gets. So I guess uh, I like some that. women like it. Huh. <laughs> some women put that on the DVD well, cover. Some women like well, it. Well, <laughs> so I mean, one, thing, one thing we do have to face uh-huh. is the critical reaction to it. Yeah, what's yeah. that uh, about? So 86% Rotten Tomatoes, 77 out of 100, which is very high. Uh, top Critics is pretty much the same, 85%. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Rotten Tomato audience score, 89%, 84 out of 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Letterbox, which is, you know, film uh, nerds, film snobs, mm-hmm. uh, 72, which is like an equivalent. I don't know what you would call that. Probably like an A-. minus. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that scale, IMDb is 72 also as well, which is pretty high. Uh, and then interesting, the Metacritic audience score 41 out of 100. Yeah, <laughs> just a left field. Side. But how do we? So how do we reconcile all of the problems that that we're having with the film with the reaction that it had at the time of its release, which was pretty close to like mm-hmm. a, a lot of praise. Uh, and then also sort of this this audience that Letterbox is now, uh-huh. Rotten Tomatoes is now. So like we have a lot of positive feelings toward it. Um, what do we think? What do we, how do we reconcile those two? Like all the problems with it and sort of the the positive reaction that it, that it's had over the last whatever twenty five years now. So um, I I'd like to tackle that if you wouldn't mind. We'll go for it. Uh, yeah. I, I think that I do think that there's like that like kind of indie vibe throughout and i do think it does have a very honest raw quality i also think that there's a so a lot of the things that i see and chris i think you were saying it like as underdeveloped i think also leave this film open to a lot of different readings and interpretations Mm. and i i do think that there are like interesting lenses to bring to swingers and it kind of it it almost like what we have is this like um like raw, like I, I can't not talk like a research, like raw data that that's just like given to us, mm. and and like I I appreciate that in general as a way to leave a film. Mm. Um, I 
I also think that like critics are imperfect and like there's still like a a tendency to um, value this type of story and Mm -hmm. and not see it as like centering like privileged white men. Like I like I I also think that this is presented as like I hate to call it like a universal story because it's like an extremely like context and time bound. Mm, But like it's also just like coming of age seems like the wrong way to put it. But in some ways it it feels like a timeless story that we're given. It's not a great story, but it's a story that we get over and over again that people seem to like. I don't know. Yeah, there's a. There's a quote, uh, a couple quotes that I like a lot from positive reviews of the film. And I think this comes down to, like you said, how your mileage is going to vary based on how you interpret the uh, depiction of these kinds of men. And uh, Owen Gleiberman, who uh, I read for years in the 90s as uh, the main movie reviewer of Entertainment Weekly, he wrote, The beauty of swingers lies in the irony of its title. Despite their lounge lizard posing, these guys will never really live up to their rat pack dreams. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's it kind of, if you are really thinking that, yes, the movie is trying to depict them as losers. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, you know, I can see some value in that, especially going along with what Mark said about the way the Vegas scenes are filmed. Like uh, one of the few chuckles I had from the film on my rewatch was, uh, you know, that two and a half hour car ride to Vegas (laughs) and Vince Vaughn, you know, it cuts, it does this time lapse thing and jump cuts to Vince Vaughn getting, you know, more and more tired (laughs) saying Vegas, baby, yeah, Vegas, baby. Like, and they still have like 40 more miles to go. So like there is that, I think when the movie hits that note, I think that's when it's at at its best, Mm -hmm. but it's so sparingly and it doesn't match up with how the narrative concludes that it, it just leaves me up with me, leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Another quote that I like a lot is actually from a female critic, um, Manola Dargis. Now, you know, probably one of the the most notable film critics uh, of today in the New York Times. She was uh, writing for LA Weekly back then. She wrote, this is a killer line, what counts here aren't the girls, but the boys in all the sweet and clumsy ways in which they make love to one another without once shedding their clothes. And I think that's another perhaps bright spot of the film is that, you know, for all the warts of uh, male bonding that is depicted on screen, it, it gets it in the fact that when guys actually are true friends, whether they're doing horribly toxically masculine things or not, like they they do support and love each other. And I appreciate that the friendships, even if uh, weirdly uh, <laughs> executed, um, do that does come through. Like it's very clear. So there's lots of buddy movies, bro, romantic comedies where the match of the two main characters doesn't work, but Vince and John were actually BFFs and that comes across on the screen. Yeah, I, I agree. The male friendships are, are they're, they're not like nice, but like underneath, like all the posturing of like young men, really, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there is a lot of like true like friendship and feeling. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that, that's definitely one of the, I think one of the main draws of the film mm-hmm. that you spend like Vince and my, uh, Mikey's character, there's obviously some love, a lot of love there. Like the number of times where, um, you know, I think Vince goes out of his way to sort of help, 
help his friend. A lot of if that person's not a good friend, they're not going to be like that. They're not going to like mm-hmm. have that level of support. Yeah. yeah, they're doing good, good or bad things together. Probably not great things, right? <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, like there is a lot of support there. Ron Livingston shows a lot of support. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons that I think it, it had such a big sort of pull. I get one another question that I had though too was this. Now we've seen the reality of the film. We also kind of lived through its influence. Does the influence versus the reality, is there a big separation there? Because back when this is super popular in mm-hmm. DVD and cable and that kind of stuff, it was all quotes. Mm-hmm. It was all quotes. It was all picking up chicks. Mm-hmm. The, the swing thing, I guess, lasted oh for what, two years, maybe? What a weird <laughs> moment in time. I am so, I think we're glad us, we didn't get married like in the year 1998. I mean, we would have been really young but, like, and had a swing band. I feel oh like God. that's the kind of thing that like you live with that for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. There, yeah, there's a great uh, interview with the lead singer of B- Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, <laughs> uh, where he mentions uh, that basically it's because of this movie and because he forgot to tell John Favreau no uh, when John Favreau approached him about being in the film, uh-huh. and he didn't want to be a uh, he didn't want to be mean, and so when he forgot to read Favreau's script and uh, and politely decline, Favreau and the film crew showed up yeah. at a Big Bad Voodoo Daddy show oh and said, "Oh yeah, you read my script." And the the Voodoo Daddy guy, I'm just going to call him Voodoo Daddy. Voodoo Daddy. Uh, Voodoo Daddy. He, he he basically just was too nice to say no and was like, "Okay, yeah." And it was like an actual concert that they filmed there. Wow. Um, and. Well, go ahead. I don't know. I was just going to add that, like, uh, it feels like that. I don't know. It almost it's hard to believe that that actually happened, that that swing revival was real. Yeah. That the, I feel like some people might watch this and think it's like a weird anachronistic uh-huh. uh, aesthetic that Fevro and Lyman are going for yeah. rather than it actually <laughs> crazy. What happened. Yeah. That, like, no, that coupled with like the the. I feel like the, the way in which like this movie does age well is, again, like that that friendship that you see. Um, and like the, the real feelings there and also just the kind of like feeling your way through like your, your early twenties, I guess. But, um, the, the thing that like really doesn't age well is like, and so going back to like, how would you describe this to zoomers? I might say like once upon a time, like men hung out with other men and women hung out with other women. Mm. (laughs) And we only saw each other as like dating partners. And I know that was never true for all people. Right. But like. That yeah. was like how like um, dominant culture presented just like normal. So beyond just like gender, beyond gender roles in terms of like performing masculinity mm. and like all these other things, just like the very fact of like just imagining having a group of friends that is all male or all female like that in and of itself seems so strange. Um, like yeah. I don't exactly have my finger on the pulse of like young people, but like. I guess I teach college students and like observe from afar, but that like, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore where it's like men are friends with men, women are friends with women and they come together only for these like mixers where they're trying to like date each other. But I also yeah. feel like that was kind of antiquated at the time. Yeah, like but it, when but it, I grew up, yeah. I didn't have just guy friends. No, but it, I mean, but it wasn't as antiquated as it is now. Sure. Like I, I still think there yeah. are like mass groups of like just girls or just guys. Like in high school, I mostly just had girlfriends. Um, like there wasn't tons of like overlap. I had like, and it wasn't until later in high school. You went to Catholic school. Yeah, too. that's true. But uh, um, but it, but even like thinking about like my older brother, I feel like my so my older brother was born in 1978. I was born in 1983. But like, there's something, and I don't know if it's the internet that 
helped like mm. break these barriers down, but like I don't remember him having any female yeah. friends at all. Maybe that's the cutoff. And like, yeah, yeah like I, that might actually be the cutoff because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, and I, I'm thinking like a whole generation before of like my parents, right? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. they, like, like my dad had yeah. male friends. Right. And my mom had right. girlfriends and like now that they're adults, they have like friends that cross gender. But right. like, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Thinking of like, as opposed to like my, my kids who are very young, obviously, and like, you know, pre-adolescent and all that kind of stuff. But like, they don't seem to gender segregate themselves at all that mm-hmm. I've observed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, but yeah, it, I mean, so that might've been the cutoff, but it's, it's interesting. Like, and again, I don't want to like read this in as intentional, but if you want to make like an interesting critical read of the film, it's like pairing that like this, like the last gasp of this kind of like performative, like gender of like dominant culture, mm aligned with like this weird moment in time where swing music is coming back <laughs> and like people yeah. are swing yeah. dancing no, and like dressing totally in this fair. way like it's just like this like what is regression like, like what is it that these folks are like holding on to and it kind of reminds me of like the the mad men phase that happened yeah when we were young adults and like i that did happen didn't yeah it? and like no no hate no hate on mad men but it also feels like like were the fans of swingers did they really like like it because of like the nuance or the parody of like these guys are kind of losers just like the fashion fads that came back with mad men and like oh, i want to like wear a skinny tie and drink whiskey and like treat women like crap like <laughs> yeah. like what, but did you watch the show though like that that's kind right, of yeah. i don't know it's there's something there that kind of yeah well that yeah that kind of reminds me i can't remember when we brought this up before maybe it was even last episode of sort of like and I was bringing like Wolf of Wall Street or Wall Street where it's like a movie that uh, is severely critical of a lifestyle. Uh-huh. But then when people see it and that's what I'm talking about, sort of the reality versus its influence, mm-hmm. it feels like the influence was something different than what necessarily yeah. was on screen. Yeah. I think I'm seeing a little bit different than you guys. I think there's a lot more irony here and mm-hmm. sort of self um criticism going on mm-hmm. maybe not a ton uh but there is some uh and the influence of it, i just remember being on that frat hall mm-hmm. watching this all the time <laughs> and there was this sort of like like you watched wall street and you want to go and make a lot of money <laughs> and there was this sort of um yeah this sort of like it would pump pe- this movie would pump people up like people we would we would watch this and you'd go out to a frat party mm-hmm. That's what people would do. So there's definitely that element there. <laughs> well, and, where and, I think the friendship stuff is was not even right, exactly part of that saying, yeah. at all. Like people didn't even see that. It was just the going out, the drinking, the dancing, the sort of lingo uh-huh. uh, that people really sort of dove into. It's um, like how people have like Great Gatsby themed wedding. It's like, but not really. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm gonna have a sound in the Fury wedding. It's a totally immersive Great Gatsby party, and it's so fun because on the way there, you hit someone with your car. And, <laughs> and then that the lover of that person then kills you yeah. later. In a yeah, story. later. Um, you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, spoiler yeah. alert for great cats oh, yes. <laughs> whatever there's a, there's a limit on spoiler alerts right <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. i don't know what you, it's uh, not that old 2013 baz lerman made it <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, what do we think 
uh, to close it out, what do we think is aged the best and worst? Oh, okay. Uh, I will go first. I'll go first. I want to put him on the spot. I'll say what is aged best is sort of the time capsule of mm-hmm. this. Uh, like, if you wanted to know what it was like to be in L.A., be that age, be kind of a bro, right? Uh, in this exact moment, I think this basically perfectly captures that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that is from the indie style and how they got it made um, and, and sort of that. So I think that's an interesting part of this film and why I think it's worth seeing. Um, the the thing that I think age is the worst is that scene where Vince Vaughn talks about um, going after a woman like she's a defenseless bunny and you're Ooh, a big bear. Yeah. Which is kind of like an iconic scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Dance, where really. the sort of male tox, uh, toxicity um, or toxic male culture is really just like in your face. You're like, oh, sex is violent. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Um, I just want to point out that yeah, there so- are a lot of women who really like to be hunted like bunnies. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you guys like? What's the what's the thing that age is the best worst? Uh, I'll go next, uh, so our our guests can have the final word on on this uh, delightful ninety six twenty uh, fifth anniversary. By the way, this is I think I I do think kind of looking back, I wouldn't have put it in this category, but uh, there are some good writers out there. Sarah Stewart um, uh, did kind of a nice. Uh, timeline of romantic comedies uh, and i think that uh even though i w- perhaps five years ago wouldn't have placed this in that canon it does make sense that swingers is ultimately depending on your read of it a romantic comedy mm-hmm. and you know going all the way back like uh favreau and lyman even name drop the odd couple a lot in their interviews yeah. uh during the press circuit for this movie and so it makes sense like that's that's the original like american romantic comedy mm-hmm. uh along with butch cassidy and sundance kid and it seems like there's that's got like the the male posturing in it so it's kind of like these two elements combined and you really didn't have a lot of the that style like that was late 60s uh, and then it kind of disappeared. It came uh, up a little bit with Barry Levinson's Diner in 1982. And then maybe a little bit more here and there, depending on how you you know look at Bill and Ted, Weekend at Bernie's in the late 80s. But then like so, mid 90s, like Clerks, Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, and now Swingers. Like it seems like that's in full force. And then it kind of made this big leap from independent uh, device to mainstream device because yeah you have do where was my car harold kumar and then obviously the big judd apatow universe which broke the whole thing wide open so i think that's probably the element that ages the best um the element that ages the worst was the line where they're pulled off to the side of the road and uh john favreau says a homophobic slur uh in reference to a woman dressed like judy garland Mm -hmm. did you guys catch that yes yeah, I did catch it. I don't it's, understand. I it doesn't make any sense, and it's homophobic. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I didn't get the, what are you trying to get Judy at? Garland is uh, often positioned as a gay icon. Uh, okay, there you and go. Specific, and right. specifically Dorothy. But, I mean, there's all there's a whole history of that, but, like, yeah, it was dumb. Weird. It was dumb and weird. <laughs> That's my answer. Mm-hmm. So, what do you guys I, got? So, I just... Uh, uh, so, Chris, hearing you mention the... Um, the what seth rogan stuff mm. like, yeah oh there are still these toxic bro movies that get made. <laughs> like, oh yeah they're still here, they're still here. They're still here. <laughs> oh knocked up what a anyway um that was on by the way airing in the hospital like on the tv in my room when i was in labor 
Because it was like a 4,000 hour labor and the TV had just been left on by Mm -hmm. me. And like, I remember like watching the scene in like, like knocked up. Really? Well, I was just finally like, turn it off. (laughs) Um, But, um, Uh, so I, 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 I agree with everything you said, Chris, about what ages well. Uh, but the other, just like to pick a moment that I still think is funny that I actually laughed out loud at mm-hmm. is when, um, John Favreau, Mickey, is it? Um, when he's, a uh, Mikey, Mikey, <laughs> when he's leaving all those messages on that woman's answering machine oh, and then she like finally picks up like that, that's funny. I don't know. I feel like that's the kind of joke that like, that's still funny. Uh, well, that's like the cringe humor. Yes, yeah. That, but, but like, yeah, I, the office popular. I I laughed. I don't know. I thought <laughs> I I thought that was funny and and cringe humor, but also like specifically like for the, for this person and like where he's at. Like, and I actually thought it was one of the times in the movie where a woman had some like was like mm, yeah. like had some agency. Mm. Just like don't ever call me. And then and then the running joke of like when that comes back when they're like, oh, it's been two days. Why don't you call mm. what's her name? Like I I don't know. Um, but. Uh, I hear what you're saying about the thing that ages the best is the time capsule stuff of it because it is yeah. this little time capsule, but it also seems like that's the stuff that ages the worst. If you want to talk <laughs> about like this movie being relatable or I'm trying to imagine like showing this movie to like a 15 year old right now, <laughs> like yeah, there was okay. a time in American like mainstream <laughs> pop culture where this is what we wanted to do. Um, so like that piece of it is really weird. I, I, and like the, the, the gay slurs, the, the scene that I hated actually the most, uh, was when they're playing the hockey game and the delivery guy is there Oh, and they're like yeah. saying wow. like just disgusting, like racist things. And John, Fow- he kind of gives the guy like a, I'm sorry, look, but that's a moment. That's again, where it's like, are you a good guy? Like tell your friends to shut the fuck up. Right. Like, yeah. like do something there. And he, and it, but that, that moment is just like, that makes me like, I think that ages really poorly. I don't know exactly what they're trying to show with that scene, but, uh, I, I don't like that one. So. Nope. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mark, what do you got? I think, you know, what doesn't age well in general are, you know, some of the pop cultural types of things. I think like, the cherry pop and daddy's scene just like it made me feel hey hey it's big bad oh, sorry, i'm sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right like you're is right. it the mighty mighty boss it, no mighty mighty boss really good. Good. no that's scott oh, oh yeah. i'm sorry oh, i'm sorry you're right i oh, yeah. sorry <laughs> sorry you know how i feel about scott um <laughs> that that made me cringe in a way that that i also like hit home in a way but but also so like that didn't age super well whereas i think um you know getting back to what i was talking about earlier is just like the the general hangout vibe you know it 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 went up and down but like there were moments of honesty that i felt like um um have aged fairly well even though i think like the ending to me rubs me a little bit like it i'm informed by like my years of high school and early college of being on like male centric message boards about like how to get girls yeah and like and a lot of the advice was very similar to what the advice Mm -hmm. was that vince vaughn was giving that like well it worked mark you're married now well i I, (laughs) 
<laughs> true, true. But you know, I want to like teach my children shit. You know, so like, um, I guess that didn't age super well for me. Even though, even though I would say like as a movie ending, it was. I, I always prefer like an ambiguously happy ending better than like a big exclamation point ending. But yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. You're money, nice. baby. I'm money, baby. Uh, Mark. Uh, so yeah, if you want to take a, he said, you want to come watch swingers? I did. And then I said, you're so money, baby. You don't even know it. Look at all these babies. Yeah. <laughs> baby. Lots Beautiful of babies. babies. That's also a weird yeah. thing. Like the infantilization of that yeah. uh, slang. And I don't know. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> it's on HBO Max. It's been 25 <laughs> years. Uh, I don't recommend it, but maybe you would have it's some a, fun. Yeah, with it. it's, it's like being in the time machine going back to like what? the 90s mm-hmm. uh with people pretending they're in the 1950s so that's yeah. i could i that. could keep up with it while doing work and yeah it's yeah. a great work uh-huh. movie great work movie. Yeah. <laughs> great work movie great work movie some slurs yeah mark and bridget <laughs> uh plug your podcast for us give us a little plug. all right well uh we are uh in the 14th season just kidding we don't <laughs> even do seasons we're so disorganized um it's called screen time um it, we podcast uh about what we are watching and it's much less uh organized than this we kind of just uh give our takes and reviews on what we are binge watching or really enjoying during this quarantine and it came about because we realize that we are giving our kids way more screen time than usual so it's set up as a family podcast the first half we um, talk about what our kids are enjoying ages seven and five um, and try really hard to coach them through saying anything useful or reflective and then um, the second half uh, mark and i talk about what uh, the grown-ups are watching so movies etc you have a you have a cool guest on the latest episode honeydew I, I oh <laughs> yeah so uh-huh uh, yep uh coco our five-year-old our five-year-old's doll's doll which is a whole <laughs> she has all these dolls and like the the dolls don't know their dolls and it's like an inside joke and like so she'll say like well my dolls and then in the doll voice but mm-hmm. we're not dolls we're your children and like yeah. the doll's doll oh it's just it's just it's just horrible it, I think you you guys have hit a stride. You're you have your own screen time cinematic universe now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, give it a listen. Mm-hmm. Awesome! Thanks for uh, joining us. And Chris, what's coming up next week on episode? What is it? Three? Of yeah, I I had some trouble, Dan, finding a, a movie <laughs> for next week. Uh, we're going back to something new, and I ultimately uh, I think I might regret this, but uh, there's a new movie coming out on HBO Max mm. next friday that is being released simultaneously in theaters as well as on the streaming service it is called the little things starring denzel washington jared leto uh-huh. and rami malik yeah it, I is, a, it is a neo-noir thriller uh by the director of the blind side yeah wow so it's all, it all sounds like fun and games into those last three yeah, words uh-huh. <laughs> threw me for a loop yep <laughs> it should be a, a good deep dive uh thanks for listening this has been film trace